0: Oh
1: Good morning and welcome to episode 613 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus brought to you by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh of Grantland. Hi, Ben. Hello. How are you? Quite well. Good. There are two other people lurking on the line. Uh, Today we're doing our season preview series. We have reached the Rockies uh, and we have both of the chapter's authors, Andrew Koo, who wrote the uh, player comments, and David Roth of Vice Magazine? Vice Magazine? Is that what you guys... Well, I mean, Vice, Vice,
2: I'd say Vice Sports. I, I mean, if I get to be in the magazine, that'll be neat, but I don't, I'm not counting on that.
1: All right. Uh, Vice Sports. Uh, and uh, of all of your favorite tweets, uh, David Roth, who wrote the essay, uh, how are you, David?
2: I'm good. Thank you for so, having me. Thank you yeah, for letting me write about the Rockies.
1: I, you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You. Uh, you. Uh, you. It seems like you anticipated my apology to both of you. Uh, nobody... <laughs>
2: Nobody chooses
1: the Rockies. This is not a. This is not like the chapter that people fought over, and we uh we made them pitch. Nobody had to pitch things to get into the Rockies chapter. Uh, nobody wooed us. Uh, we assigned them to you because they're uh, uh difficult to fill, and uh, we knew that you would both do great jobs. David, step up or step down from the Marlins.
2: I mean, in terms of uh like the opportunity to. Like right overwrought metaphors about failing baseball teams. I think you know the Marlins are that's the gold standard. Uh, and I'll I'll stand by last year's essay as being the most overwrought thing that anybody, uh, or at least that I could possibly have written about a baseball team. The Rockies are there's something kind of like poignant about them in a way that there isn't about the Marlins. Like I with the Marlins, you get this sort of That, like, that Loria feeling where you're just kind of like, you know, you want like a Silkwood shower, like, every, you know, 10 minutes that you think about them really intensely. (laughs) It's like the Rockies have a, there's just like, they were trying to do like a dumb thing and they tried to do it for like 15 years and it didn't work at all. And now they're like kind of still trying to do it and kind of not trying to do it. But like that's, there's more of a like human condition element to that than there is with the Marlins where it's just like, it turns you into a a Marxist instantly. Like we were just like, this is what the market is giving us. Like maybe we should sharpen our pitchforks and see if that works instead. Like the Rockies are just a a lousy baseball team with some bad ideas, which is, I mean, I'm a Mets fan. Like I I have some experience in this area. So So,
3: so I was just reading your essay and I'm wondering what are we going to do about owners answering emails? I feel like something oh, some, something has to be done about owners. Like maybe some sort of parental lock could be applied to their computers so that they can't answer <laughs> fan emails. I don't know how fans get their emails, but That's it never ends well. I'm
2: always blown away by like the there's you know as we record this, there's still sort of like the tail end of the news cycle. James Dolan writing like a, the owner of the Knicks writing a really Right. like extremely tart and ill-advised response to like some septuagenarian that was like, you should sell the team. I Why did you trade Wilson Chandler? And Dolan's like, you're an alcoholic probably. I don't know. <laughs> and also, like, <laughs> like, you know, I'm not saying I hope you get in a terrible car accident, but like, it seems like something you deserve. Anyway, have a great day. Like, and, but like, to me, like, the, the biggest question for all of that is like, you can like email James Dolan. Like I would have emailed James Dolan Thousands. I don't even, I'm not even a Knicks fan. Like I would have just like sent him, like, I would have tried to updog him or something, you know, like, it, just, it seems like the right thing to do. Yeah, just, <laughs> that like poor, like Dick Monfort, and his team has lost like 30 out of 40 games in the middle of the season. It's like up at two in the morning, like answering fan emails as he was in July of last season. Like, again, like that's, it doesn't have that like professional sheen or it's, there's not like that Marlin sense that like all the bad guys are like cackling on a yacht in international waters. Like this is just like some weird guy late at night in his nice house being like, <laughs> I'm sorry that you're so upset about Charlie Blackman not playing all the time, but like, I want to move the team to a different city, like, because you're so mean. Or whatever, it's just like, really how any of that happens, I have no idea. Like, I, I, there's something kind of admirable about it. it Certainly, a- they should definitely V-chip those guys' computers, though, for sure. Like, at the very least, like, it just turns off at 11. Or, like, you have to blow in a breathalyzer first or something. Like, it's just a bad look.
3: It might just be a a skewed sample of owner emails that actually get to us. Maybe, maybe most of the owner emails are perfectly nice and civil and friendly, (laughs) and they invite the person to their box for a free game, and it's there's no grammar errors whatsoever, and (laughs) it's just the one email that happens to catch the owner at at the wrong time that actually gets to us, gives us give owners a bad name. They're.
2: I always like that the. The owner emails are really, like, idiosyncratically punctuated. And, like, the Montfort one reads, like, a telegraph from, like, 1909. Like, maybe Rocky shouldn't be in Colorado. Stop. Maybe should move to another town. Stop. Like, you're just, like, you're, like, you have a billion dollars. Like, you can't use a definite article at the start of your sentence. So. Like, it's not... A lot of your
3: essay really was sort of wrestling with this question of whether it is better to have an evil owner or like an openly evil owner or a, a benevolent owner who meddles so much that he ends up costing the team more than the evil owner might. So you kind of came down on one side of that debate.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny, though, like, I can't I can't be as mad at the Montforts as I am at. I mean, the, you know, the Wilpons actively impact my mood in a negative way for half of the year because of, at least, because of the way that they are. Like, Montmore wants to win and is willing to spend money to a certain extent, whatever, but this is the part, this is where it comes back to, like, maybe it's a little bit poignant, is that, like, they they clearly have an idea of what they want, like, a winning Rockies team to be like. They just... It's a, it's a bad idea. Like it's not what a baseball team is like. And so they've made these sorts of choices in terms of, and I think Andrew can probably speak to this, in terms of like the type of player that they want to have. And it's like when the twins used to just routinely produce all these like kind of like, use it through 87 and like never struck anybody out because that was rude. And like that was like the only pitcher that came out of there. Like the Rockies draft this kind of like virtuous, hustling, like maybe not the most talented type of guy and that's so their system keeps producing these like Rockies and then they keep promoting Mm. these Rockies and then the team keeps playing like Rockies. And because you know so much about the dedication to like this, this culture fetish that they had under Dan O'Dowd and the, um, the Monforts were really very much a part of culture in this case being this kind of amorphous, faintly evangelical Thing. But, like, you go back and you look at the graphs and you're like, all right, well, you took Casey Weathers two spots ahead of Madison Bumgarner or whatever. And you're like, so does that mean that like you interviewed both of those guys and like Casey Weathers seemed more like someone you would want to drive your kids to Sunday school or like where did this even happen? And that's like the part that's kind of like where you feel for the, the Rockies fans in this where it's just like it seems so idiosyncratic and you know like reflective of these weird biases that the owners have and like owners don't know as much about baseball as professional baseball people do and when they do too much then you end up with a team that like looks like you're weird answering emails at 1:45 in the morning mm-hmm. owners as it turns out that team wins 66 games so there you go <laughs> you know it's just like a drag
1: you uh uh you gave me the perfect segue to Andrew, and I'm totally going to uh, skip it because I want to ask you one more thing about owners. Do you feel like we're in a um, in an era where owners are uh, – uh, are we in a golden age of crazy, overbearing owners, or are they disappearing? I, I legitimately have been thinking about this for the last two minutes trying to figure it out, and I don't know whether in general owners are more involved or less involved and crazier or less crazy than they were 15 years ago. Do you have any sense – you pay attention to owners more than me.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I paid too much attention and I, obviously this answer is filtered through my, my biases against the idea of any, like, person in any way owning another person, (laughs) like, but I think that, you know, I don't know that they're crazier, I think that they, uh, are more reflective, well, they're not reflective. Like, it's not to say that, like, Walter O'Malley was any, for instance, was any, like, crummier or crazier or, like, more of an unpleasant person than any of these guys. It's just that, like, he – this type of ad owner, like, this type of, like, meddlesome but also, like, intensely confident and, you know, values-oriented billionaire like it's just it's a new thing. It's like reflective of a certain like what our wealthiest weirdest people are like now. And you have to be both wealthy and weird to buy a baseball team. There's plenty of people that have a billion dollars that don't want to like answer emails from people like demanding that Charlie Culberson play more. You know what I mean? Like there's if you've got that kind of money you can do whatever you want. Like you certainly don't need to like, you know, <laughs> justify drafting Greg Reynolds too high in 2004 or whatever it was. <sighs> <laughs> so, like, with any of that, like, I think that in some ways, like, the owners are maybe more accessible. Certainly, if, like, people in Brooklyn could have emailed Walter O'Malley about the Dodgers' failings, like, they would have moved to Los Angeles in, like, 1939.
4: You know, like,
2: they would have gone any place where it, like, we see more of them. They're maybe a little bit weirder, I think, like, in congruence with the general weirdness of our time. And, I mean, this is, I think that you could actually argue that the Rockies could have done worse than the Montforts in terms of like being owned by people that like there have always been like owners that are, there certainly have been owners that were worse people than these guys. Uh, I mean, they don't seem like princes or whatever, but they're not Mark Schott or George Steinbrenner. It's just that the amount of um, autonomy that they feel like they should have with the baseball team, like that's not a, a new thing. But the way in which they are manifesting it, I think, like scans sort of new, or at least Mm -hmm. it it like feels like if you want to look at it through the filter that I have chosen to look at it through or whatever, then it feels more like a reflection of the excesses that you can see from people who have a lot of money, maybe more than they have sense. And, you know, believe that the, the first part sort of cancels out the second.
1: So, um, so Andrew, last year's essay did not talk about the owners. Last year's essay talked about uh, the Rockies' long series of uh, attempts to create a uh, pitching philosophy that would suit Coors Field, and Russell Carlton tried to find one that did or that would. Um, and uh, so when you scan this year's uh, depth charts and you look at their rotation particularly, uh, do you see a philosophy, do you see anything consistent that links uh, the guys they had with you know Kyle Kendrick and I don't know maybe even Jonathan Gray on the other side. Uh, is there a, is there is there intent and in deliberation here? I think that
5: sometimes we're uh, I guess trying to ascribe a narrative to to the pitchers they acquire and to a degree perhaps that's true. Perhaps they're um, picking up a lot of uh, ground ball type starters and hoping to keep the ball on the ground and uh, out of the, uh, inside the park. Um, but they've been bringing up, uh, pitchers, um, um, lots of strikeout potential. Um, uh, you know, Gray and Butler, um, who are, uh, you know, better than, than ground ball pitchers. They can, they can get get better swing and miss. Um, so it might be some leftover from, you know, picking up some ground ball pitchers last year, but I feel like maybe they're moving toward, you know, getting a swing and miss, uh, type pitcher, you know, um, last year they did sort of, um, when Gray and Butler were down in the minors, uh, get them to, I think, um, throw, throw a, get bats to end quicker and, and uh, pick, uh, teach them a ground ball philosophy. So maybe that's in play. So, you know, it's there, maybe it's not there. I can't be sure, but, you know, there is maybe a link there.
1: So Gray is, I, um, I don't know. I think this is probably true for all 90s kids, which I am. Uh, You will never, ever trust a uh, Colorado pitching prospect because uh, you remember how absurd baseball used to be. And it's still fairly absurd. Not quite as absurd. But I have in my head this idea that Coors Field will ruin most pitchers. It will certainly ruin all young pitchers. And a Rockies pitching prospect is less of a pitching prospect than others. And so then I just looked, and since 1993, Play Index... Coming up, by the way, if anybody wants a Play Index coupon code, I've got a couple. Um, Since 1993, when the Rockies were founded, um, I looked at how many pitchers each team has had produce uh, 12 or more wins above replacement in their first seven seasons. Now, not all those guys are homegrown, like the Diamondbacks get credit for Dan Heron, but there are very few of those exceptions. For the most part, you scan this and it's almost all homegrown guys. And um, the Rockies are basically the median. They've they've had three guys who fit this. They have a fourth who had eleven uh, wins above replacement. Um, the average team had three. The Mets, by the way, none zero in all that time, twenty years. And uh, don't is that good?
2: One. I'm sorry. Was that it's zero is good though? It's
1: you don't like want normal. to have too many, right? Pitchers are unreliable. Who would want to develop them? It wouldn't make any sense,
2: uh, right? Because so, then you can pay for Tom Clavin or something like that. <laughs> Yeah,
1: I'm, yeah. You and that makes sense. I'm really worried the Mets are getting away from their roots and are going to have a couple guys on this list before long. But you know, maybe they can hold out. Um, you and me anyway, both. Anyway, three is the average. Almost every team is basically between two and four. There's like two teams that have had seven. But basically, the Rockies have developed young pitching uh, as much as any other team. Uh, the four they've had, by the way, are Shasin, Cook, Ubaldo Jimenez, and I. Uh, Forget the guy who was at uh, 11, but I'll know in a second. So anyway, not am De La Rosa I, could be De La Rosa. Let me check. Uh, Jason Jennings. Uh-huh. Mm. All
3: right. How could S- anyone forget that name? <laughs> much much taller. Than...
1: So, so <laughs> it's true. So uh, should I? That was an extremely long way of saying you buy in on Gray. <laughs>
5: <laughs> um... So last year, Jonathan Gray um, from a a bunch of our notes from our prospect writers um, mentioned how the Rockies um, tried to um, get him to sort of rely on the slider less and uh, use the changeup more. And there's a quote in the Denver Post article about how he thinks his changeup is his number two pitch now, which is pretty incredible because the slider, even going into the draft, was um, a really highly targeted pitch. That said, I think Gray is, you know, far above the standard as, I think, the, he was the third pick, you know, so there's a very good chance that, you know, just being the third pick, he winds up um, in that, uh, in your list there. Um, like Greg Reynolds. <laughs> um, but, but also, um, I think that when we're measuring by wins, wins above replacement, we are, um, we are adjusting a lot for the park that they play in. And so for them to be the median is not too unexpected, but um, those surface stats uh, still will look fairly ugly. Um, you know, uh, from, from what we expect from, I guess, a neutral park. Um, but adjusting for cores, you know, um, to see them in the median, that's, that's fair, I think.
3: So Nolan Arenado is a nice thing to talk about for Rockies fans. And really positive. Yeah, yeah his, his Pocota comps are two-thirds depressing and one-third very exciting. Mike Mostakis, Matt Dominguez, and Robinson Cano, which is an odd group. So he is, is he the good member of that group?
5: I think if you're a Rockies fan, you're more afraid, um, that the two years or was he injured last year? Um, that you're, he's afraid, you're gonna afraid he's going to become Carlos Gonzalez and injured over and over again, more than becoming Mike Moustakis. Um, that said, he is part of this group there where you see, um, Cano, someone who hit very young, very quickly.
4: Um, Dominguez
5: who has, um, quite a bit of power, as does Moustakas when he shows it. Um, you know, Arenado is showing very positive signs. You know, he gets the home bonus, but he can hit on the road, too. Um, you know, I, I, hope he, I hope he works out for them. Um, I think, yeah.
3: We should probably devote a moment to the new general manager, just because it's been an age since there was... Well, that's not quite true, right? It's been... There have been multiple general managers at the same time as the one general manager who was there forever, and it's sort of hard to parse that arrangement. But there is a new solo GM, he is doing the job all by himself as far as we know, Jeff Breidich, and this is, I guess, what passes for change in the Rockies organization, a guy who has been there for a decade. So is there... Any indication if if either of you has seen any indication that he is do we do we know what sort of GM he is or whether he is different from the co GMs of the past?
2: Andrew, do you have any thoughts on him signing Daniel Biscayso, um. Nick Hundley, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and, uh <Cal> Kendrick? <laughs> wait, wait,
1: wait! I've got I've got my own list of uh, Josh Vitters, Roger Bernardino, Buddy Boschers, Aaron, Lannan, and John, <laughs> yes. John Lannon was
2: was is, my So list. basically, what I can tell you from that is that. Uh, he has the same approach that I had in my National League only fantasy league three years ago, <laughs> which is good. I actually finished third in that league, so and that was despite using Josh Vitters in my lineup. So, just saying, he could he could do that well, solid.
5: And
3: the other curious, or do you have something, Andrew?
2: It's yeah,
3: been a very, it's Actually, been
5: a very I mean, quiet offseason for them, right? I mean, they traded, I guess, Josh Rutledge, which is an extra piece for them. So they haven't added or subtracted anything. Um, they've done some Rule 5 stuff, but it's been very quiet. So I don't know if we can point to any um, uh, tendencies for for the new GM there. Um, and I do think, for the most part, um, this is a year where they can sort of evaluate where they're at, where they bring Gray and Butler up. Um, We're hopefully, hopefully, um, uh, their pitchers are healthier. Hopefully, Carlos Gonzalez and Troy Tulowitzki are healthier. Um, where they're still at an age where they can, uh, you know, produce MVP type numbers um, if they play full season. If they play a full season, um, so maybe it's a wait and see approach. I'd say.
2: So I will say uh, one thing about that before, uh, just before you totally move on from it. That like the thing I was struck by in, in uh, writing the essay about the team was how like they obviously it's not their fault that Gonzalez and Tulewiski keep getting hurt. To be fair. I mean, it's not that you can't put that on the organization. That's the universe screwing with them. But
4: the fact that
2: they were consistently caught out there in terms of depth in the starting rotation and in the outfield and in the field, that like that actually is like, you know, beyond the sort of like the, we don't know yet if, like, Broditch's roll-five moves are going to work out or whatever. But, like, it doesn't seem to me that they've actually put themselves in a position where, like, in a worst-case scenario, you know, Tulewitzki really, he plays the 88 games that he's played on average over the last three years, right? So that means that Daniel Descalso gets 400 plate appearances. Like, no one wants that, you know? Like, and that's still the sort of thing where, like,
4: You know, so last year
2: it was Josh Rutledge who got it. Like, I think that's, you can call it a wash, but like the, the I I don't necessarily know that it's like sunk in that like they should be prepared either at the minor league level or the major league level for their two best players to miss 90 games. No team can really ever be totally prepared for that. Obviously you don't want to have, but I don't know that I've seen from the approach here that there's any, And I think that this is what Rockies fans find frustrating, to the extent that I've like talked to them since the since the book came out online, is that like you know there's not a sense that anybody really understands that this is the way that it's going to be, that they need to be ready for this. There's still the sense that they're playing for the 90th percentile outcome, and that they're assuming that Tulowitzki's going to play 140 games, and that Carlos Gonzalez is going to play 140 games. And that just, you know, that hasn't happened in three years. And I don't know that there you can look at the lineup and say that they're, was it the roster that they have and say that, you know, there's an understanding there or like a preparation for like, what if that happens? Can we still tend or can we still, you know, compete even?
1: Well, it, I mean, in fairness, it's going to take, cargo and and tula playing seven or, or 800 games for them to compete this year <laughs> that's
2: and true so but yeah I mean like it, they're playing for respectability always here I guess and that's that's a good point though it would be nice if, if um you could have two like if you could have Trojan the play shortstop and then another one that plays second base and I don't know that they've looked into that but I, I thought of that just now, and I, that seems like a really great idea.
1: Yeah, they would. Uh, they would do a poor job communicating who was covering the bag and
2: uh, <laughs> two bodies on the. <laughs> they both crazy, like rupture their hips, turning double plays. But yeah, it's still it's something to explore. Okay. Exactly.
1: Uh, so, all right. So we're gonna do uh, predictions now. Uh, both of you are going to tell me how many uh, games the Rockies are gonna win uh, in 2015.
2: And I think Andrew should go first because he actually knows who he's talking about.
5: I just looked at the Pakoda, and I need to get away from that, so I'm going to take uh, 10 seconds to try to forget that from my mind before I predict. Uh-huh. so go ahead, David.
2: <laughs> and go. 68. I'd say 75.
1: And what is Pakoda, Andrew? Uh, 71. All right. So um,
2: I should say that last year I predicted that the Marlins would improve by 10 wins, and that was totally because I had... You know, it was late, and I was just trying to say a nice thing about the Marlins, and I think they actually did. Yeah, mm-hmm. they did. They were, uh, somehow seventy-five the, wins is, is, century, a nine, is a nine is a nine-win improvement for a team whose biggest off-season move was adding Nick Hundley. So, <laughs> you don't know. Uh,
1: all right. Well, thank you guys uh, both for, uh, for your work. Despite it being a challenging chapter, it is one of my favorite chapters on both ends of the field. So thank you both very much, and thanks for coming on. Uh, next, Sahadev is uh, going to be talking to Nick Groke of the Denver Post about the Rockies. Listen to that. And uh, Ben, do we need to say anything else?
3: We don't need to, but I'm a gracious host, so I will thank David again for coming on. You can find him on Twitter at David underscore J underscore Roth. You can find Andrew on Twitter at Coup. Thanks again, guys, and stay tuned for Sahada I'm the Nick. A reflection. I'm a reflection. He's a reflection
0: of me. Whoa, 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 whoa. Rock is hot, blood. Welcome into the second half of the Effectively Wild podcast. I'm Sahadev Sharma, associate editor for Baseball Prospectus. With me is Nick Groke, who covers baseball and in particular the Rockies for the Denver Post. Uh, Nick, thanks for joining me. Hope all is well. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, Nick has been, this is Nick's second year covering the Rockies, and uh, he he saw a rough season last year, and obviously we're doing this backwards from uh, Pakoda's projected worst teams to the first, and we're only on team number three, so so we're not expecting to see another, uh, another great season with the Rockies here. Uh, when I talked to the Phillies reporter, it, it sounded like it was that, I mean, we all know they've, they've been preaching for a lot of the fans have been talking about we need a rebuild. It's time to rebuild. This is uh, full of uh, poor veterans that, you know, are past their prime. It's time to time to start the overhaul. Is that uh, it, it's clear that they're not going in that direction yet in Colorado? Is that something that the front office is ready to take on in the near future? How close are they, they to doing that? Or is that something that they, they don't even want to discuss at this point?
4: You know, it's, it's funny that you, that you uh, bring up the Phillies because the, the Rockies and the Phillies are, it seems, uh, on similar crossroads. But the, where the Phillies are sort of or were sort of locked into some bigger, longer contracts, the Rockies don't have that issue. They, don't, they can get out of a lot of stuff if they want to, um, but they, they choose, they've chosen not to. But, you know, you only need to look at their offseason moves, which were very few. To know that they like the roster that they have, they they didn't make any changes, any big changes to what they have coming back from last year when they lost 95 games. And part of this um, is for good reason. To be fair, they they have uh, you know what could really be a top five lineup in baseball um, behind Troy Tulowitzki, Carlos Gonzalez, if they if they stay healthy. Their problem, though, and one that kind of continues to vex rocky fans in colorado is that they 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 have what seems to be um what could be a bottom five rotation in all baseball and this, this sort of seems to be the end of the rockies over the years that they can hit they can hit the cover off the ball but they can't really throw it um from the mound but um so to to answer your question it, it, are they reluctant to um go toward a rebuild mode they have been reluctant to go toward a rebuild, but I think, and, you know, they we were sort of saying this before last season too, but I'm going to say it again um, even more so with even more emphasis, but I, this really seems to be a kind of make-or-break year. Normally we say make-or-break as, you know, a, a team is a make-or-break team. If, you know, they have, they have to either win it all or get dismantled, the Rockies have to win at just win any, you know, win even get to five hundred, um, or I think they could be torn apart because why I don't. There's no reason to continue going on the path that they're going if they continue to finish uh, at or near the bottom of the NL West, especially with the teams that they have to compete with in their division. But it seems to me if they're if they're completely out of it by the All Star break, you could see uh, you could. See Start to see them being torn down, um, but you, you know, like I said, like I said, a lot of us were saying the same thing last year, and that didn't happen. So we'll we'll see the Rockies really like to kind of continue on with what they do, um, but it might be coming to a head here real soon this season. Yeah, I'm
0: certainly one of those guys that's uh, looked at this Rockies roster over the past few years and said, you know, if if things go right, I could see, I could see them competing. Even heading into last year, I thought uh you know if they if they get off to a hot start and Eddie Butler comes up and Jonathan Gray comes up and they're effective immediately or just you know even solid uh rotation pieces they could surprise obviously you know when Tulewski gets hurt that kind of takes everything off the rails but do they have like you said it's it's always the pitching do they have the pieces there to compete sometime uh if not next season down the down the road or do they still believe that Butler is is that high level arm? Uh, obviously, I doubt. I don't think they've given up on Gray yet. I, I, that'd be he's so young and and he's recently drafted. Uh, but even a guy like Chassin, like he he has a ton of talent. Are, are, are the pieces in place, or or is this something that they're still going to have to go look out uh, whether it's free agency trades or the draft, wherever it may be.
4: Well, a lot of a lot of the fans wanted them to try to get a bigger name, a bigger name pitcher to go along with, with their lineup and it and it didn't happen. They, they continue to have a real difficulty getting people getting pitchers in free agency because they have to pay such a premium to to bring them the core field. Whatever whatever they're being offered by other teams, the Rockies have to jump back by, you know, ten or fifteen percent, whatever it is, and they, they end up throwing I mean the, the risk for them in free agency is is that much bigger because they have to, they have to pay more for pitchers that come to Coors Field. But so, so when they decide not to do that, when they decide not to take on that risk, then yes, they have to look. They have to, to go with what they have already in their system. And uh, you know, I, I was like you. I I sort of had my eye last season on on Eddie Butler, John Gray. Those were the two names that really jumped out of people. And I, I think. Because the Rockies were so needy for, for new, fresh pitching, they they might have um, we, we might have been a little bit too ambitious in in wanting to see them at the big league level. Eddie Butler came up for one game and he, he tweaked his armpit and he had to go back down and he really came up too soon. Mm-hmm. Um, they were they played it safer with John Gray. He never did get out of Double A last year, um, which was in hindsight wise because he he kind of uh, got a little ragged. Um, pitching a full double A season last year, they hope they hope he comes back a little bit stronger. But I, I suspect that they won't they won't be on the big league roster to start the season. And for the Rockies, that's probably a good thing. Um, but in their stead, they they need to find, they need to find some guys who can be starters. And um, you know, really, all they did was add Kyle Kendrick um, from the Phillies for free agency. Um, so, the, the, I mean, the Rockies hope that they have. They have more arms this year. They really tried to work on, uh, in the offseason, on adding some depth. David Hale, from the, who came from, by trade from Atlanta, um, is an intriguing option. I, I suspect they'll probably start in the bullpen, but he could be moved in as a starter. Um, they they seem at least on paper, to have a little bit more depth. They were killed on, with, with pitching health last year. They started 15 guys, which is a team record. Wow. Um, can't if any if they start 15 pitchers again this season they're screwed. But um, you know the problem though last year was when they when they were so injured pitching and they had to look down down levels to have for replacements. Really they're they're good they're good young guys were in Double A. Butler and Gray and and Tyler Anderson did real well. Daniel Winkler did real well last year um, until he uh, injured his elbow. Um, and so their their real good arms were not ready, so they had to they didn't have anything above them at the AAA level to to, to call up, and that's when the team really went out. So they, they hope that they've really worked on um, they they think that they really worked on adding some depth in that department. But where are the where are the next big young arms? I think there are still the ones that you mentioned: Butler, Gray, Tyler Anderson, who um, has a, a an elbow injury to start the year. Um, they're hoping not too serious, but he's in the Knicks also. Those are where the big arms will come from for the Rockies in the foreseeable future.
0: You know, I mean, we've, we've probably talked about this for since, uh, since we've seen how Coors Field plays, but uh, you know, at, Going after ground ball pitchers certainly makes sense for this organization. And it looks like they have gotten a few. You mentioned David Hale. Uh, T- Tyler Chatwood is one of those guys. I believe Jordan Lyles uh, is, a, is a ground ball guy. Uh, they also have a really strong infield defense with Arenado at third. LeMahieu won gold glove last year. When Tulo's healthy, he's obviously one of the better gloves at short. Is that a sound approach right now? Could this finally be the approach that actually works for them, uh, it, going for that ground ball, those ground ball pitchers, and finally having a really strong defense infield defense to back those guys up? Or is this, or, or mm-hmm. have I just not been paying attention and have been trying uh, this in the past, and and uh, now I just have finally noticed?
4: No, no, no. You're noticing something that is a little bit new. Although you know, so the sample size is not too big, but they really did make up. Uh, a larger philosophical push for ground ball guys last season, and it it to like to be honest, it backfired. They they were giving up too much contact, um, you know, across the board starters and bullpen guys, and it you know just like where it just seemed like it wore them down through the season, It wore their defense down through the season, and eventually, I mean in twenty thirteen they had one of the best defenses in baseball statistically. On paper, last year they do, too. Like you mentioned, they had two gold glove, two gold glove guys. Um, more nose, excellent defensively at first base, and they. But they. But statistically, they were they fell way back down um, defensively, and I think it was because they were essentially giving up too much contact. So, before this season, I, it seems to me, and I don't, I don't think this was a, a full-on philosophical change away from ground ball guys because they still. Uh, most certainly have an emphasis on that, um, but they tried to add a, a little bit more power. Um, I think when they when they um, acquired higher Diaz from the Angels, I think that was an indication that they want to, a little bit. They want to try to add some power, especially out of the bullpen. Um, if, if for no other reason than to, to sort of mix up um, what hitters see in the later inning. And uh, to be honest, they could use more pa- more more guys who can um, just let loose on, on with with fastballs. At, at some point, even even at close field where you know a, a, a single is a double or you know the, the gaps are so big, you have to just sort of like let it go and and just you know try to try to throw try to throw some fire. Um because I, I think the routine of, of other teams seeing a routine of, of ground ball-type pitches, um, they just sort of kind of can key up on it and they can, they can tell what's coming um, when, it, when it's so obvious. So a little bit of mixture, I think, may, might be where they're headed this year, uh, which, which seems, at least, to be a wide a wise course of action. <laughs>
0: Uh, as far as the man at the top, uh, Jeff British took over – I'm not sure if I pronounced that right even, but I, I'm going to go with that. Briditch. Bridich. Uh, took, Bright-ish, <laughs> Bright-ish, Bright-ish. Bright-ish. uh yeah. took over as uh, GM, I believe, in October. It, he he's been with the organization for a while, so some may see that as you know not really a changing of the guard, just you know a new face in charge. But is that a fair assessment? Is is he going to bring some his own philosophies? He's a completely different person, so it's kind of unfair to just label him as the same old just because he's been in this organization. Is he is he bringing some new philosophies to the table? Is he going to change things up? Maybe uh, maybe do something different than Odow did in the past.
4: The, the changes so far seem to be minor, although. Um not insignificant. Um, it seems uh, that Walt White definitely has a larger input on um, on some of the player moves they've made, and and just sort of how they kind of deal with other teams has has been a little bit different. Uh, he made it very clear um, right away that he'll listen to he'll listen. On offers for anybody on the Rockies roster, that wasn't always the case with the Rockies. Um, in the past, Dick Mond, for the owner, was you know was very clear that they would not trade Troy Tulowitzki or, or Carlos Gonzalez. That's a little bit different now. That's why there was so much talk out of New York about possible trade, you know, trade rumors for Tulo or Cardell. It's because Brights came aboard and said, "Well, we we have to consider everything, even if this, even if he doesn't, even if he's not actively looking." Um, to, to trade those two players, he's at least listening, which um, or at least made it known, wide, widely known that he'll listen on those guys, which is a little bit different. Um, as far as organizational philosophy, though, it is pretty much it is pretty similar. I mean, he, he's been with the team for a long time, um, and I think that he a lot of what he learned came from came from working under Dan O'Dowd, so a, a lot of the things that, that they sort of were doing under O'Dowd um, organizationally, philosophically, have, haven't changed that much, but it's also kind of, it's also a little too soon to, to know uh, what, if that will last or if it's a carryover. He hasn't had a lot of time to make, you know, wholesale changes, and the time to make wholesale changes would be this season if they start to tank. and. Um, so then, we would really see what kind of general manager Jeff Wright is. So far, it, it's been a little. It's been mostly,
0: I would say, it's mostly the same. Uh, you mentioned Walt Weiss there. Uh, I've uh, I've been in uh, visiting clubhouses o- over the past two years, and uh, I'd, I'd probably say Walt Weiss is right behind Ron Reineke as far as uh, the the nicest managers. As far, as far as first impressions, he's one of the nicer guys that that I've been around. Uh, in the manager's position, but what, what type of manager is he? Is he a, is he a, you know, a player's manager? Is is there something, is there more depth to him as far as strategy goes? And we're just not seeing it because the Rockies have always been, you know, under his watch, they haven't been very relevant. So we don't really know what type of manager he is. Uh, What is he? He, He's
4: definitely a player's manager. um, And, it, 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 and he ma- he manages in a way that that is definitely uh, that's definitely player friendly he tries to put players in positions where they can do their do their best on their own on their own terms um, and it, but he you know on the other hand though he's not afraid to to crack the whip or um, pull the trigger he he um, he uh, sat Nolan Arenado last year for not running out of a, a ground ball the first. Things like this. He'll um, definitely take on. As, strategically, as a manager, it's tough to say. A lot of people didn't like some of the moves he was making last year, um, you know, uh, how he managed the bullpen and and some of the changes. But, to, I mean, to be honest, not to be an apologist for what was, but that season, last, last season for the Rockies, was so far south. I mean, they, they were spiraling so out of control it's like you know i don't i'm not sure you know yanking jorge de la rosa in the sixth instead of the seventh would have made all that much difference anyways but um a lot of the a lot of the sort of managerial um decisions especially as far as the pitching staff is concerned were coming from above him um they they were really trying to limit any the the innings pitched by starters um you know, not, not as drastically as the piggyback they were using a few years ago, but mm-hmm. um, it's definitely something that was sort of ingrained from, from, the, from the front office. Now, whether or not he'll have a, that'll be different this year, we don't know yet, but I, I think Walt Weiss understands where some of that is coming from, although I, I, I got the impression last year that he wanted a little bit more freedom in how he made some of those changes. So to be honest, I don't, I don't know how good he is strategically as a manager, um, players players like to play for him though, and that's that's certainly not for nothing. Um, I don't know. Uh, I always like uh, you know you, you mentioned Randy. I always like Ron Washington talking to Ron Washington. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I haven't talked to players about what they think about him very much, but I, I like what what wife is sort of. Um, well, I don't I don't know if that's a t- completely fair comparison, but. Um, without examining the details between them. But he's definitely somebody who the players
0: like to play for so far. Yeah, Ron Washington, if I was going to vote for anyone who's the most interesting and fun pre- and post-game to talk to, uh, now that Ozzie Guillen's not in the league, Ron Washington (laughs) is definitely fun to Fun to stick a microphone in front of and have him just uh, talk for as long as he did. And he's the only other than my dad, he's the only person in the world I know that smokes winston's So that, that <laughs>
4: right. as well. outside
0: of that car. anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so th- the last question I'm asking everyone is personally as a, a since you're covering the team, not what's most important to the team or, you know, maybe what's the biggest storyline, but what's the most interesting storyline, event, whatever it may be that you're looking forward to covering this year for the Rockies?
4: Well, I mean, there are a lot of details um, that we, we kind of have our, our eyes on. They have to improve um, how they play on the road um, and they have to be better. Pitching, but really, like the the major major storyline for the Rockies is whether uh, Troy Tulowitzki makes it to the end of the season in a Rockies uniform. Um, Carlos Gonzalez off like one A, one B would be the same same scenario. You know, one step below Tulo. but if if Tulo stays healthy and the team is you know ten or fifteen games out of out of it at the All Star break. There's no way that can they can keep him on this team. I, I, there's no way that he'll want to stay on the team. I think he's ready to start making noise. Um, if, if the team is not prepared to grow or to get better, uh, especially in a really tough division, then there's no reason for him to continue being on the team. So, and and you know, saying ditto with Carlos Gonzalez, although a little bit different, he's not as he's not as. Um, I think eager um, to make waves, but I think that, that's really the biggest thing that will happen this season if it happens um, is is Tulo watch, and uh, because as far as as far as he goes is it as far as the team goes, and if, if he's playing really well and for a good period of time last year before he got hurt, he was he was um, the second best player in baseball behind um, Mike Trout, I would say. Um, if he continues on that kind of clip and they're 10 or 15 games up, there's no way they continue. I, I think there's no way that he'll want to stay on the team. And, uh, so if, if it starts to get roughly or ruffled, uh, to, you know, waves start to be made, then it, it could get really interesting for the Rockies. This season.
0: Yeah. Tula Yeah, is definitely one of my favorite players to watch when all is going well. And certainly when, when he was healthy last year, that was the case. All was going well. Uh, Nick, before I let you go, why don't you uh, let the listeners know uh, where they can find you on social media and where they can read
4: your work? Uh, I said uh, either you can find me on Twitter, Nick, G-R-O-K-E, and uh, denverpost.com slash Rockies is all our Rockies news, and, um, you know, we'll be out there. We'll be watching the games. <laughs> I'll keep an eye on you all, too. So, yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Thank you, Nick. That's Nick Groke from the Denver Post covering the Rockies. I'm Sahadev Sharma. You can follow me on Twitter at Sahadev Sharma. Nick, thanks for joining us. Take care. Hey, thanks, man.
3: All right, that concludes our Rockies Team Preview Podcast. Just remember, Coors Field might be a difficult place to win, but it's a beautiful place to go to a game, and it's a pretty good place to convince people to go to a game, even if you're not winning the games, as the Rockies' recent history has shown. We will be back tomorrow with another Team Preview podcast. We hope that you will email us for next week's listener email show at podcast at baseballperspectus.com Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. Rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes and support our sponsor by going to baseballreference.com using the coupon code BP and subscribing to the play index to get the $30 discount on a one-year subscription.